if you're um, wondering, uh, yes, there is uh, a TV behind me with a question mark on it. And there's a reason for that because um, there's been some complaints at Redstone Church with my teaching. Um, They say that when I pull out my glasses and I do this and I do this and I lean forward like this, I look like a grandpa, all right? And so in order to stay away from small print, they wanted to give me bigger print. And so they said that I had to start using this. In all reality, uh, we do, we're always tinkering with ways to communicate and how to be more clear and those types of things. And we really do believe that having a teaching tool might be helpful. Uh, We're going to try it for a couple of weeks. If it's trash, we'll throw in the trash. But we hope that um, as I, maybe not the TV, that'll go go in my den or something. Maybe the master bedroom. Um, so not, so we, we, uh, we really hope that it helps the communication um, because I can be, I, I, can, um, I can take a few rabbit trails, so they say. So hopefully this will keep me on point and then also bring clarity to it. So there is a question mark on your screen and there's a reason for that um, because life is full of questions, Right. And so we, we know that at two years old, you come through the terrible two, twos, and then at three years old, you just start asking questions over and over and over again. And so you're asking your mom, like, hey, mom, where do babies come from? And to which every mom on planet Earth says, your father has the greatest answer to that question, right? Because we're all dodging that. Uh, one of my favorites is, hey, dad, why do you have a beard growing underneath your underarms? And so I don't know. I mean, so these are questions that we have, right? And those types of things. So we're just filled with questions. However, however, there are some life's most important questions, Right? There's some really, really deep, essential questions that after, you know, you become a big kid, you start asking more and more questions. Things like, does God exist? And if there was a life after this one, what would it be like? And where exactly does knowledge come from? And on and on and on. There really are life's most important questions that we need to consider and we need to think about. And here's the problem. When we look at like important questions, when we think about this idea that there are really substantive things, you and I live in the year 2019 and we live in the West in which we are subject to relativism, which is, doesn't give us many answers. It actually gives us more questions. Or we are, we, 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 have, we are high on individuality, right? And so whether it's relativism will get us, right? We're so individual, that'll sink us. Also, we're subjective instead of objective. And so we live in a time and we live in a place in which there really aren't many answers to some of life's questions. There's just no definitive answers whatsoever. And that leaves us frustrated, so what would, if, what would I tell you if that this morning we really could find a way to have a definitive answers to life's most important questions? Because I think we need answers to some of these hard questions. I think we need a definite answer to some of these things. Well, this morning, we, as you've seen in the worship guide this morning, we're going to go through a lot of text this morning. So let me break it down for you this morning because it, we're going to have three different sections. One, we're going to talk about cynical questions because you and I, deep inside of us, we're all cynics. 
and we have cynical questions that we ask of the Lord. That may or may not be natural, but that's just in us is that we're cynical. So we're actually going to read a passage of Scripture that has to do with just being cynical. The second passage has to do with deep theological questions, questions that we may or may not have the answers to. And then lastly, we're actually going to turn a little bit more sincere. Where these are more aggressive, we actually will then hear a real question, a sincere question. And what we're going to hear from Jesus is we're going to hear Jesus walk into the definitive, where he is actually going to walk in strong, and he's going to say things like this, the most important is... That sounds definitive. That doesn't sound relative or subjective at all. He's going to actually use this, this verb, is, or he'll actually say there is no other than these. These are the types of answers that we need to everyday problems or life's biggest questions is to hear this kind of, of answers. For most of us, Jesus is a really good teacher. And we love the way that he teaches because he uses symbolism and those types of things. We know him as a healer because he walks in to where, where, the, where, where um, we are the sickest and he comes and he touches us. Uh, two weeks ago, we saw him as the leader, the leader that we really need in our life because he knew that the cross was coming up and yet he led the way to us. So as healer or teacher, right, those types of things, we, we like him. However, we don't think of him as philosopher. Uh, we don't think about Jesus when he is actually taking the life's biggest and strongest questions and actually bringing a solution to us. However, you and I would be good to think of Jesus in this way because he doesn't back down from the hardest questions. He doesn't at all. In fact, he embraces them. He goes toward them. And so the stronger the question, the better the answer. And that's what we're going to go into. Is we're actually going to see Jesus walk into these passages and hear these types of questions and really not back away from them. So today, we really want you to build confidence in Jesus. Because you and I have questions of our own. If I was to give you a minute or so, just to pause... And if Jesus was sitting here and you could ask him anything, what would be the most pertinent question on your tongue? What would you want to ask him? It might be a cynical question. That's okay. It may be a theological question. That's okay. It may be sincere. But if you had access to Jesus, what types of questions would you walk into? This is what we want to do in this dialogue this morning, is we want to see and hear Jesus being able, right, or apt to answer all of our questions. And so this is um, Mark chapter 12. We're still there. And we're going to read uh, a pad, three passages of Scripture, but we're just going to do it one at a time. And we're going to hear Jesus uh, talk um, uh, to, uh, first and foremost, uh, to um, a, a group of folks. So Mark chapter 12, verse 13. I'm going to pause because it says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. All right, so there's some things in verse 13 that you need to know about. Uh, first and foremost, you need to circle the word they. All right, and they sent to him. And then verse 13, you're going to see the word Pharisees and you're going to see the word Herodians. Do something for me. Jump all the way to verse 19, uh, 18 and you're going to see, And Sadducees came to him. Go ahead and circle that. 
So they and the Pharisees and Herodians and Sadducees. And then jump all the way to verse 28. And you're going to say, and one of the scribes came. All right? So here's what you need to know about this. Is that what you have here is a picture of what is called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is made up of these groups of folks. Verse 13 and verse uh, 18 and verse 28, you're going to hear of these groups, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the scribes. All these are separate people, and yet they all fit here in what is kind of the courtroom of the first century Israel, which is called the Sanhedrin. Right? You have kind of the, the judge here, the high priest, and the, all of these people are sitting around this room. And there's, of course, the accused that are walking in to the high priest, they make the case, and then these guys decide. These are the smart guys in the first century. They knew how to ask questions. They knew how to pronounce judgment. For the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they have been in power for 200 years. These guys are smart. And then the scribes, these guys are kind of constitutional lawyers. They know this stuff like the back of the hands. And so when you read, and then they sent to him, the they means the Sanhedrin. And inside the Sanhedrin, you have three different groups. You have the Pharisees, sorry, uh, the Pharisees and the Herodians, the Sadducees and the scribes. And so that's what's going on with the they. So let's, as we've got that, let's read verses 13 and following and hear a few cynical questions. And so Mark chapter 12, verse 13 says this. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and then some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to them, and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? You hear all of these questions? I mean, question after question. Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisies, he said to them, and he asked his own question, Why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to him, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So first and foremost, you see Jesus walk into a, he's there in the Temple Mount and he's being peppered with questions. And you see first and foremost, what is happening to Jesus is he is about to be trapped by these guys, the Pharisees and the Herodians. They had been in the dark corners and they had been looking at how to trap him, how to test him, how to get him in a way in which he was going to lose credibility. And so they came up with the world's perfect question. You see, in the heart of this question is this idea of whose loyalty are you, Jesus? Are you for Rome, right? And that's where the, the, the Caesar comes from and the denarius come from. All those are Roman words. Or are you fully Jewish? And so this is the trap. Jesus is going to have to pick which, one he is, which side of the coin he is going to lean on. Is he going to be Roman and side with the Romans or is he going to be a, a Jew? And you see that he sets up not just the trap, but he uses all kinds of flattery. This is, the, this is how the world asks questions. 
They are coming at different angles that you may or may not be able to trust. They've been, they've been navigating these words and trying to fix this to be able to force you to trip. In fact, sometimes they use flattery and they say things like, like teacher, right? Let's show you some respect. We know that you are true and you're good and you're really good at what you do and you don't care about people like us. And so we're going to humble ourselves underneath you because we really do want to hear what you have to say. You don't care about the things that we care about, like appearances, but you just teach the way God wants to teach you. And so trying to puff him up, which doesn't work, these guys come in and try and try to point him up. So you have here at the heart of this question, a coin. This is a coin. So this is a denarius, all right? And so on the front side, you have a picture of uh, Tiber Siberius, and on the back, you, you have his mom. And so you don't need to know much about this other than this is what is at play here. A denarius is about one day's wage, all right? And so if you worked a laborer's wage, you're gonna get one of these in your pocket. And here's how it works. Jesus says, um, does anybody have a coin on them? Like a little bit of David Blaine, like straight magic. They're like, does, does anybody have a, a coin, like a quarter or a penny or, or just, just, just something, anybody, anybody just dig into your pockets. I know we have debit cards and those kinds of things, but uh, I, just, I just don't have anything on me. So does anybody have, oh, you've got something? All right, just throw it. You don't have to, no, just throw it. Throw it. Oh, good, good. Throw it. Bruce, throw it. Throw it. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. All right. Anybody else? Anybody else? Oh, that's a Portuguese coin. <laughs> good. Good. All right. So Jesus is just, uh, uh, who wants to get a lunch? I'm paying. Um, so Jesus is fishing for this answer, right? And the second they flip him the coin, all right, and he catches him, the answer has been set. Now we can't hear the answer, but the second Bruce throws a coin, that's the answer. You see, this is an either or proposition. The fact like, are you Roman or are you fully Jewish? And Jesus doesn't have a coin on him because he doesn't have a Roman coin. So he looks to his accusers and he says, does anybody have a coin on them? Anybody, just does anybody got a, a coin on them? And of course they dig and somebody inside the crowd of the Pharisees and the Rodians, they have a coin. And with that one coin and with that one toss, they sink their guilt. Why? Because they too have home in their pocket. They too live under the type of rule that they were trying to trap Jesus under. You see, Jesus' answer says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's because what you see is Caesar's inscription and he's the one who minted this thing, so just give it back to him. But the underlying current had nothing to do with taxes or Rome or Jews. It had to do with them that the way Jesus corrected them was they corrected them by, with something that they held near to them and actually had in their pocket. They were guilty because they were the ones who had the coin, not Jesus. And so we come to these either or propositions. We come to these questions. Are you this, are you that? Oftentimes, let me share this with you. Oftentimes our cynical questions have at the heart or the base of them some hypocrisy. And so we need to understand that we, when we are asking cynical question of Jesus, 
when we are doubting Jesus, when we are just fighting mad at who he is and how he's con conducting his life, just know that the coins are oftentimes in our pockets and that we are the ones who are being hypocritical. We've got to keep moving, y'all. We've got to keep moving. And so the second passage has to do with theological questions. All right, so verse 16, sorry, 18 and following, we have our second group of folks. We have the Sadducees, right? And this gets a little more confusing, so I'll try to make it clear. So the Sadducees came to him and said to him um, that there is no resurrection. Who say that there is no resurrection? And they ask him a question saying, teacher, all right, so the second time we've heard this. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no children, a man must take the widow to raise up offspring for his brother. Whew, that's a lot of words. All right, so let's just read it one more time. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, I have a brother, right, and I die. All right, so it's just I'm gone and I just have a brother standing there and leaves a wife, but I have been married before and I left a wife, but she has no children. So now all you have on stage is a brother and my wife who has no children. That man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, here's the question. There were seven brothers and he took a wife and when he died, he left no offspring. Verse 21. And then there was a second who then took her. We, we're obeying Moses here. And so the second one took her and he died, right? And then all, and so, and then, sorry, and the second took her and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, verse 22. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died, has also died. In the resurrection, Jesus, when they rise again, Whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. This is very, very confusing. But again, they have been contriving a way to trap Jesus. And this is their best effort. These are the Sadducees. They've been in charge for 200 years. They do not believe in the resurrection. So, of course, they're asking Jesus a resurrection question, right? They're trying to trap him with an essential doctrine that they do not believe. And they bring up some obscure thing called the Leverite marriage vow. That if a brother dies, his living brother has to take her up to, as his wife in order for them to have offspring. And so this is going to prevent like spoilage from uh, Gentiles and those types of things. So at the end of this parable, the end of this question, you have a woman who's been married to seven men. And when she dies and goes to heaven and goes into resurrection, which they do not believe, whose wife will she be? And this is a perfect trap, a perfect trap. If you thought the coin was amazing, this has no wiggle room whatsoever. One had to do with Rome. This is really Moses. Are you going to, to trust Moses in this? And so here's the trap. Either, either you're going to endorse what's called polyandry, Right? and dishonor Moses' teaching on monogamy, or you have to deny the afterlife. That's it. Those are your only two options. Either you're going to go with Moses, or you're going to have to deny the afterlife. And here's why it's the problem. 
Jesus has been quoting Moses, right? He believes in Moses. I mean, he is, I mean when he is being tempted in the, the, the wilderness by Satan, he's quoting Moses. So he can't deny, he can't walk away from Moses. And here's the second problem. If he denies the after, uh, afterlife three or four or five or six times, Jesus is saying, I am the resurrecting one. I'm about to die and then I will raise again. And so resurrection is at the heart of his, of his teaching. And so what in the world is Jesus going to do? And so this is a trap, something that, that Jesus will not be able to come unto. But Jesus says that there is a third option. And this is when our theological brains just do not compute. When we get frustrated, we need to understand that oftentimes when we see the world this way or we see God this way, oftentimes there is a third option. There's a third option that has to do with... with, with um, with marriage and resurrection and, and children and those types of things. Verse 24, Jesus says this. And Jesus said to them, is it not the reason, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush? I mean, this is the climactic moment of, of the Old Testament is when, when God comes down to talk to Moses in a bush. And God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Am I not this? He is not the God of the dead, but the living you are quite wrong. And so Jesus' third option, this idea that he is walking in and able to parse out all things is the fact is that you have gotten it wrong. And so, yes, he smacks him around because he talks about resurrection. He says, it's, the resurrection is not just a continuation of life. It's something so different that you can't even recognize it, right? And so to use earthly terms to talk about the resurrection is nonsensical. So if you look at a caterpillar, there's no one that says, oh, by the way, that thing is about to be a butterfly because all you see is a caterpillar. And so to know that it's gonna morph, we know that because we've seen it morph, but all we know is this earthly life. What Jesus is saying is the resurrection is not just a continuation of that, it's something totally different. I mean, totally different. Or another, uh, another way to put it is a fetus that is growing inside of a mom's belly. For him or her, to understand a lecture given by an astrophysicist would be nonsensical. Why? Because fetuses do fetuses type things and people who listen to those types of lectures do their types of things. But they're, but they're both human. They're both life. And so, yes, resurrection is real and both are real, but to, to fit them into a category would be wrong. But the real issue in this passage is not how, what, or what um, he answered them, but how he answered them. Did you pick up on this? And so look back at verse 24. Jesus said to them, is, it not the, is this not the reason you are wrong? 
because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And then go all the way down. And it says, have you not read, right? Have you not read the book of Moses? How did Jesus answer them? He's, yes, he's talking about the what of resurrection, those kinds of things. But how is he going after them? These are the Sadducees. These are the people who have been in power because of their knowledge of the scriptures for 200 years. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. He's stepping on their toes. And how is he stepping on their toes? He's coming after them with things that are close and near to them, the things that they should be an expert at. So similarly to the coin, the thing that Jesus is correcting them with are the things that are closest to them, the fact that they did not know the scriptures, right? Have you not read the scriptures? This is Exodus, Right? This is Exodus 3 about the bush and God and he's talking and he is a living and live and well. Do you not know God, he says. And it's ludicrous because of course they have read the scriptures and they know the power of God. And Jesus says, but your question is nothing because I've explained all this before and I'll have to explain it to you again. So he comes in close to them and he answers them with the things that they think are right. And so the places that we can be the most vulnerable are the places that we hold near, the places that we are strong at. Not our weak points, but oftentimes our strong points is actually where we are the blindest or the most blind. And so in the same way that the Sadducees were blind in their strength, not their weaknesses, sometimes in our theological strength, it can actually create a juggernaut that we, that we can't understand. And we have to go back to this, this, this um, third option. My favorite part of this passage is the fact that Jesus says you are wrong. And then he says you are quite wrong. In Matthew's account of this, it says that they were silenced. They had nothing else to say. And so Jesus comes to us in our theology. He comes to us in our doctrine. He comes to us in our statement of faith. And he says, all of humanity cannot be defined by your theological or your understand of theology. It's about following after me fully and completely. If you just hold up a creed, or if you just hold up a theology, that's not following after Jesus. And that's what he is correcting here. Because, men and women, in the same way as the Sadducees, sometimes we just like to be smart. And sometimes we just like to be smarter than the next guy or the next gal beside us. Jesus Christ came not to make us smart. He came to make us alive. He came to make us live. And so when he comes to us with the answer, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He's walking in and says, it's not just about your mind. It's about me coming and offering you life and life to the full. All right, we've got one more section to go. We've got one more section. Um, So before we get there, let's sum up some things here. So how is Jesus answering us so far? All right, so this is good for us. We need to know 
before we get to the, to the scribe who is a little bit more sincere and a little bit more positive, Jesus' answers may be corrective, right? And so when you're asking Jesus these questions, just know that he may come towards you in a corrective manner. It, it may be corrective. Jesus' answers uh, may be an option that you've never considered before, okay? And so we need to understand that these are all possibilities because that's what we have seen this morning. Or lastly, that Jesus' answers... And we need to realize that Jesus' answers are rooted in the scriptures. He is quoting Moses as the, as the Sadducees have walked away from understanding this. That every single time Jesus will pivot toward us, he will square his shoulders and he will answer us with the word. Why? Because he is the living word. Okay, so life's sincere questions. This is verse uh, 28 and following. Now, one of the scribes, so this is our third different group. Now, one of the scribes, before it was just a group of Sadducees or a group of Pharisees. Now, it's just one scribe walking to Jesus one-on-one. And he came up and he heard them disputing. So he was a part of it, or he was hearing the other two questions. So he heard them disputing with one another. And seeing, or hearing, that um, he had answered them well, asked him, which of these commandments... Which, of this, uh, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, this is the definitive part of Jesus' answer. So Jesus answers, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, for you have, truly, you have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we have the scribes here and he, they are a part of nonstop theological debates. And Jesus continues to swat them back and forward, back and forward. And we have here an individual, someone who's walking toward Jesus in a sincere way. Now, remember, he's a scribe, right? And here's what scribes do. These are constitutional lawyers. And so at their constitution were the 613 commandments of the Old Testament, of the Torah. And so what they did is they honed in on all 613 of these commandments over and over and over. There were 365 that were prohibitions, meaning that you couldn't do that. And then there's four, 248 that were positive commands. This is what you should do. But all in total, these scribes had to narrow in on 613. And what he's doing in all sincerity, he says, I have given my life to understanding these 613 commandments. Can you, because I can tell you are smart and you are good and you have answered all of these people flawlessly. Can you tell me which one is the greatest? 
And Jesus, essentially, knowing that everything has been reduced down to the Ten Commandments, right, that are on two tablets, one for God and one for others, he reduces all 16, all 613 down to the Ten Commandments and then reduces it any farther. And he says, love God and love others. And this is what he says. This is how you can essentially understand these things. And so what Jesus is teaching you and I this morning about how to ask sincere questions is before we ask our questions, we need to understand that uh, to love God is to know God. Before he did anything, he just wanted to just, just set the parameters that in order for you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you must first love him fully and completely. What does our scriptures tell us? What did this passage tell us? One is these hours. Love the Lord, our God, right? He says, this is, this is how you love him. You understand that he's personal to us and through us and for us. That yes, yes, he's up there, but he is fighting our battles. And so the fact that God splits the Red Sea and allows you to walk in, that is our God. This is how he acts on us, on our behalf. The fact that we were in sin and in our sin, Jesus comes toward us. This is our God in whom we worship. He makes it very personal. So to love God, you got to know him. The second thing is, is one, right? The Lord, the Lord your God is one, the scriptures tell us. Meaning this, this word holy means separate. And so he's ours and he's all, and he's one. But then he starts walking into this tr- repetition. Listen to the repetition. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says, you shall love the Lord our God with all your mind. And you need to love the Lord your God with all your strength, or sorry, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And so he comes to us as very personal and none other But then he looks to us and he says, you have to love me in this way with all of it. All of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and all of your strength. And so how are we to do that, folks? You and I could, could get crushed by this word, all. But we look at the, the word right before it, that we're to love God. First John says it this way. This is how you know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and then we are to do it for others. So the only way that this is not crushing for us to love him fully and completely, the way that we are stitched together is to realize that our allness has to do with our loving God, which is sacrificially, we give him everything. When we hold back just one ounce or withdraw, we try to keep our individuality and that's not loving Jesus. And he says, if you want to know what the most important is, this is Jesus talking to us in great kindness to love him personally, to make sure that there's no other like him and that in our sacrificial love, it is in every corner of our being, this is what we do. But then he says, he then steps in and he says, not just to love God is to know me. He says to love God is to love your neighbor. The second part, and he says, he asked for one, Jesus says, well, you can't divorce the two. 
He says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. First John 4 says that anyone who loves God but hates his brother is a liar. Why? Because it's impossible to love God and hate your brother. The prerequisite to loving God is actually, or loving your neighbor is actually to love God fully and completely. God knows that we are image bearers. We are made in his image and his likeness. And there's no way that we can love our neighbor unless we love God. And there's no way that we can love God unless we love our neighbors. They're just part and parcel. That's the reason Jesus comes so strong here. As, it's as if, yes, it's two, first and second. That's what Jesus says. But it's as if they could barely, you can barely see the differences between the two. And so how in the world are we going to do this and do this well? I found a quote that's helpful. It comes from Haddon Robinson. He says, how do we love our neighbor? He says this, a, person's, a person whose need you see, whose need you can meet. So how do you love your neighbor? How do you love God? How do you walk in relationship with him? He says, a person whose need you see, whose need you can meet. How great and powerful this, this is, is just to open your eyes and to see the needs around you. And in that way, and meeting other people's needs sacrificially is how we are expressing our love and trust to God fully and completely. There is a problem in all three of these passages. Is that in all three of these passages, the people that are asking the question, they call Jesus teacher. He says, teacher, he says. In all three passages. But when Jesus looks to the scribe and he says, he says, and when Jesus saw the way that he had answered wisely, he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Well, here's the problem with that statement. Is that if you leave Jesus in the realm of teacher or philosopher or simply just answering life's most important questions, he will stop and stay smart. And Jesus did not come to this world to make us smart or to be smart. He came to make us alive. And so what he needs from us is not us to look at him as a teacher, but to look at him as a savior and a Lord and the one that we worship. So some of us are approaching Christianity or some of us are approaching our walk with faith like these guys. You're reading a lot of books and that's good. You're hearing a lot of messages and sermons, that's good. And yet you've just stayed in the, the theological realm. Just asking questions, what Jesus is asking us is to go deeper into the reality of saying, stepping away from just teacher and into Lord. You are not far. The problem with skeptics, right? right? The problem with just being theological. And even the problem with sincerity is that it only gets you so close. But you'll, even though you're close, you're still not there. What Jesus is asking of all of us this morning is not to be teacher and Lord, Savior and Lord over all things. He can walk into life's most complicated questions and answer any of them. 
he walks toward us and he says, ask the questions. I'm not afraid of them. I will not back down. So if you're cynic, it's okay. If you've got theological question, it's okay. If you're sincere, it's okay. But just know that the life's, the answer that you need is that the solution you need is not just to be corrected or to be right. It's actually a place of surrender. And that's why you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, surrender. With all your soul, surrender. With all your strength, surrender. With all your mind, surrender. And this is the answer to life's strongest, hardest questions, is that Jesus Christ has come to be Lord, not just teacher. Let's pray. And so Jesus, as we contemplate the questions that we have in our own minds, when we think about what we would ask you, Jesus, some of us, some of us, we are pretty cynical right now. I pray that you walk toward us in our cynicism. Some of us have a theological questions that we just can't get over. Like, why would you do this? Or how would you do this? Or why didn't you do this? And some of us are so sincere in our questions. And yet all three of these groups continue to stay named in that group where they stayed a Pharisee or stayed a Sadducee or stayed a scribe. And you cannot have two identities. You either give Jesus all your life or nothing. Jesus, our, my prayer for us this morning is that there could be religious people in here who have heard messages like this their whole life, read verses like this their whole life and still missed it read their Bibles and still missed you. And so if you're a Pharisee in here, just know that Jesus walks toward you this morning. If you're a Sadducee this morning, you have theological questions, God is walking toward you, making himself near to you this morning. If you're a scribe in here, Jesus is walking toward you because religious people need salvation too. Religious people need Jesus too. And so, Lord, I pray that you are working in our lives and you're working hard to save us, not just transform us or reform us, but to, to save us from our sin. And we ask this in Jesus' name.